just what might the midterm elections mean for a future farm bill? And how about those interest rates? Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a podcast that looks at agriculture issues across the country. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. They're not calling it a great red wave now that the midterm elections are mainly over. Sure, there's a runoff for that Senate seat in Georgia, but moving ahead, the 118th Congress will be split as the Republicans take back the House. To get a sense of what that might mean, we turn to Kurt Covington. He's currently the Senior Director of Institution Credit at Ag America Lending, but his background includes work at Farmer Mac, and he's a keen observer of what's happening with ag policy and the economy. We caught up with Kurt recently to discuss the midterms, but as you'll hear as we get started, we tend to go farther and wider with the conversation, digging in on the next farm bill, interest rates, and the availability of money for operating loans in 2023. Stick with us for this one. It's a good ride. Well, Kurt, welcome to Around Farm Progress. How's it going for you? Good. Just um, got back from four days of pheasant hunting up in balmy South Dakota. You know, have a good time. Good. So to speak. Yeah, I'm doing good. You? I'm good. I'm trying to keep ahead of it. You know, today we're talking about a topic I think a lot of people are still trying to get their heads around. And that's what happens now that there's been the midterms and the Republicans have taken a small majority in the House. What does that mean for the farm bill? Do you know? Yeah. Well, just a number of things. And uh, I've been hearing from bankers and farmers alike. I think there's probably a number of things I could point to here. But the first foremost, I think, is Unfortunately, and this is kind of my opinion on this, is that the uh, farm bills could probably going to get extended, but eventually a bipartisan deal gets done. And I think part of that, Willie, is a number of things. One is is that I understand that the field hearings didn't go all that great. There wasn't a lot gleaned from those um, from those um, hearings, and I've also heard that they may go out and restart up the field hearings once again. Interesting. So the other challenge is too, and I, I don't know how to say this, so I'll be gentle, but there are many people that are on the House side that are working on a farm bill that have never worked on a farm bill before. <laughs> well, I was just going to bring that up, so I'm glad you asked that or at least brought it up. And I may not have all my numbers exactly right, but think about this. I think <clears throat> there's only 180 sitting members it might be 160 or 180 sitting members of Congress that were around during the last farm bill. And now you bring in, you know, quite, you know, a new class of members. I think this education on the farm bill is going to be really interesting and really challenging on two fronts. There are going to be those on the Republican side that say, well, why if corn and bean and wheat and commodity prices are so good. Can someone explain to me again why we we need to uh, upsize the farm bill? And I think kind of on the other side of this, you know, explain to me, you know, how how the nutrition program works and uh, the CBO has scored this and said that we're going to have to upsize this and over the next 10 years could be you know, significantly higher than what it was during the last farm bill. I think somewhere in the $1.3 trillion range, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. All that leads to is a an educational process that I think ultimately extends the current farm bill and does not get a new one done at the, you know, I think 
we're probably looking at an extension. I think eventually it gets done, but it's going to be a long, hard road to the finish line. The last two farm bills have felt like a long, hard road, um, especially the last one where different players um, had different agendas. Well, that's nothing new, but they seem to be stronger in them, whether you're talking the fresh fruit guys who and gals who wanted to see more supports in crop insurance or there were immigration issues or everybody's got an agenda, right? But but it seemed like there was a little pulling apart, like we weren't going down the same road and keeping it between the ditches. Do you see that's going to be a problem again this time? Yeah, I think there is. I think ultimately, if you if you open up these field hearings again, I think there's going to be a lot of people that want to bite at the apple ultimately right and the fresh fruit guys was a good example and i think ultimately the biggest issue around the at least in my view of this is is that the reference prices that they're currently using inside the farm bill or i guess the term would be useless or irrelevant <laughs> i mean it affects crop insurance the subsidy programs and ultimately, th those reference prices have to be reset under, you know, I mean, let's face it, I think you know as well as I do, I'm not sure is anybody in the, on the bean side, the soybean side, if it's even a relevant program at this point, given where the reference price is. So ultimately, yeah, and I think there's going to be a lot greater emphasis this time around on making sure the nutrition program is is um, properly funded. And obviously this doesn't get out of committee. It doesn't get out uh, of the house probably without an upsizing of the farm bill pie itself in order to meet those needs. Well, that's interesting because I know there's some um, questions about how much support on the the nutrition title we need given all the money that was thrown that way with COVID. And I know the conservative, and this is a fair question. How much should that go? How long should that last? How much is going to be there? And how does that play into this farm bill with the nutrition title? Yeah. And I've heard the same thing. I would just say that uh, all the cat calls will be out there saying that, have you gone to the grocery store lately and seen that, and again, depends on whose numbers you believe, but food costs are up 14, 14 and a half percent. Some areas and some some particular uh, grocery items are up even more. But ultimately, I think there is going to be some consensus around the fact that, look, you can't have a nutrition program that literally underfunds uh, what is going to be needed over the next 10 years. And I agree there is still some COVID relief that's left over on this, but I think this will be viewed as the opportunity for uh, particularly urban legislators to uh, get what they want, which is more money for SNAP. Yeah, that's kind of what I wondered. What about the age old question? Why don't we separate the ag side from the nutrition title? <laughs> I, you know, it's, I was just talking about this with somebody, and I, I guess I don't really have a good answer for you. Obviously, the question goes, well, where would you put it? Would it be a separate, you know, a separate funding bill? Would it go um, into uh, some area of commerce, I guess, is how maybe you would describe that? Uh, I, I, I can't, it's probably a fair question, and ultimately, I think what happened, one of the reasons it doesn't, because if you separate out nutrition from, um, you know, the basic, you know, commodity titles and the conservation programs, uh, 
particularly the conservation programs, if you, if you just have commodities on a standalone basis and say, you know, we're asking this much money to assist farmers who are going to make more money than they've ever made in their entire life, perhaps in 2023, perhaps into 2023. Um, so again, tell me why we should help rural legislators and to, to help farmers explain that to me again. I think what happens is it, it will it will not get separated and it should, but it's not going to get separated this time around. And that's because there's also the people on the other side of the aisle is saying, we need more money from nutrition. Well, explain to me why and how this is going to get used. So it's going to ultimately be a, a big giant compromise where everybody said, hey, let's just leave things alone as they are and get this bill done sometime in hopefully late 2023. Well, there is a there is a movement in the underground a little bit uh, questioning the crop insurance subsidy and why it has to be so high. And the other side of that is the idea of subsidizing crop insurance was so we didn't have to do ad hoc disaster payments. Well, that's kind of right. gone out the window, right? Right, right. Well, I would say the other thing, um, as you know, as it relates to crop insurance, and I think what's always kind of been a challenge here. And this came up, you know, a couple farm bills ago and explain to me why the taxpayer is subsidizing this. I mean, ultimately, I think the other part of this is going to be, I'm sure there is, at least on the Democratic side of the aisle, there's going to be a, uh, some discussion about, fine, we're willing to, um, you know, fund the crop insurance program, but we want conservation and conservation practices being part of uh, not only qualifying for crop insurance, but premium adjustments if you do or you don't. But do you know how difficult that is? I mean, that's not something that you just write up and include in a bill. If you end up with something that says, look, your, your crop insurance and uh, premiums are gonna be based on your uh, conservation practices, which is what I'm hearing, um, I, I don't, I don't know how you get that done. I don't even know how you define it. I mean, I I'm a no, that. I'm a no tiller. Do I get a 50% rebate? I mean, well, that's a, that's a great question. Right. And it comes down to many things other than that, as you well know, and it, yeah. it has to do with water conservation. I mean, it, it's, it's a wicked web, but I had been hearing things about that. And I just don't see that going anywhere anytime soon. But I think there's going to be a lot of wrangling around that. Yeah. And I think keeping it together, though, and that goes back to that comment, comment about let's not separate things. Let's keep nutrition with farming. The other side, everybody always makes the argument, we're less than 2% of the population. We won't have a voice if we aren't at least rolled in with the nutrition program. So, right. yeah. you, and so that that's part of it. But I'm thinking there's some people, a growing group that says that's questioning that maybe we'll get by the 2023 farm bill without it. But in 2027, it's coming back or, you yeah. know, I mean, that's true. So. I think that's, it's not going to go away. I think the it's a, it's a very fair argument. I think we would both agree. Yeah, that's fair. Anything else that I mean that as we look at this and uh, uh, on the Senate side, we're not going to have a change in the Senate Ag Committee. Debbie Stabenow is going to be running that. It does look like G.T. Thompson's going to get the House at least. That's where it's playing right now. It's The funny thing is, I think the House Ag Committee is like, oh, who wants it? 
Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. Col- Colin's gone and the Republicans have it. Hey, GT, you still want to stay there? So Yeah. No, I, I think they're both uh, good, excellent yes. rural uh, legislators, legislators. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think on both sides. And so mm-hmm. I think ultimately um, it's it, it, it's not a bad thing, it, particularly on the Senate side. I think we could end up a lot worse than that. And on the House side, to your point, it's like it's a hot potato. Who wants it? And everyone just says, not me. And who's who's left standing when the music stops and there's no chair left? <laughs> well, I, but I think GT wants it. So I think that's good uh, yeah. news. Yep, that is good news. <laughs> it's great. But it... it it just it, it brings up this uh, you know we we basically have this conversation every four years what now and of course sometimes it takes longer uh, and sometimes it's a five year farm bill so right. we'll see where this goes anything else you're hearing from farmers or anything I mean one of the other issues is this whole uh, you're in the Ang Bank business this interest rate situation where uh, do you see that going with land prices and interest rates obviously uh, it's not slowing land prices they sold some ground in Iowa for thirty k so man I, do you know how many times I've heard that story. <laughs> Or not story, the fact. I'm sorry, it's a fact. I don't mean a story, but I mean, I've heard that time and time again. And so here's the interesting thing about all this. And I wish wish the American public would understand the farming dilemma that we're in right now. So top line revenue is at or near, or at least has been, when you look at dairy, corn, soybeans, wheat, cattle, have been you know, if not at nearing the top of all time prices, but the margins that these farmers are seeing isn't extraordinarily higher than what they had seen in the prior year. And that's because of the cost of fuel, the cost of seed, the cost of fertilizer, the cost of labor and labor, particularly if you're out West, right? Mm -hmm. The cost of water, particularly if you're out West and something that just rose its ugly head uh about four to six months ago and that was interest rates and what 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 really the outside public really needs to understand is if a farmer's interest costs double on their operating loan which is exactly what's happened here over the last year is that their interest cost has gone from say three percent to six percent that's a direct hit to the bottom line for these farmers and you you couple that with increased of all these input costs and all of a sudden you say, geez, you know, corn prices are at seven bucks. And you say, yeah, yeah, but my input costs have gone up 40%. And if you add interest into that, it's even worse. And so my margin in this business isn't as great as you may think it is. Yeah, I, I think this year there may be guys who made more money at 450 corn back uh, in the day. Yeah, and, and I would just, your last comment, interest costs, at this point have not affected land prices, but will it give it, uh, probably give it until next spring. And I think you're going to see, well, if rates go up again, mm-hmm. you're definitely going to see a, a softening of land prices in my mind. I and mean, that's the direct correlation really. And you know, this as well as anybody, mm-hmm. commodity prices have not been correlated to land prices. No, they haven't. And, and no one's really tested interest costs relative to land prices recently, but it's coming. And I think you're going to see a softening of land values probably in 2023 at some point, unless all of a sudden Federal Reserve says, okay, we kind of overshot the mark here and 
we're done raising interest rates. In fact, we may even think about backing off a bit. I don't see that happening, but I, I honestly think there's going to be some softening in 2023 on land prices. That whole interest rate discussion, obviously, we know there's an inverse relationship. The higher the interest, the softer the land prices, at least historically. But there's also this debate, and I read a story in in Fortune about this, that how high should the Fed raise that rate? Because it shouldn't be four and a half, it should be five and a half. If you, mm-hmm. In other words, to drag it down. Well, that extra 100 basis points is going to be a big deal if they have to go that high. Do you, do you, I mean, and a lot of people, I mean, somebody that was borrowing a year ago right. to buy land would, was probably going to get financing somewhere. And I'm just going to throw up for probably in the three to three and a half mm-hmm. range on, on average. And depending on where, if you wanted, you know, really long-term financing, it might be a little bit higher, but short-term, if you were financing, you know, you know, like on a, on a five-year rate or something like that, the money was, and I don't mean this in jest, but money was almost free. Yeah. And today you take a look at those same types of rate and they have more than double. I mean, if you're looking for long-term financing, I mean, you want to carry it out 30 years, it's expensive. I mean, it gets us back to where we were, you know, 10, 15 years ago. It is expensive. And um, so I just would say when you look at this, it's probably for farmers is a piece of advice that I always give is for the time being, you're probably better being on the short end of the yield curve with, with, with a variable rate loan. Because I just don't, I just don't think rates are going to necessarily climb that much higher and that much faster. But if you lock in a real estate loan today, it it it's it's expensive. I mean, just just bottom line, it's expensive. Yeah, I know that you hear people say, and actually, I had a house loan in the nine percent range when I bought the house I used to live in, and sure. people go, "Well, that's what it was," and there are farmers that remember. 12, 14% interest. This is a little different. We've been soft. We've had, I'm putting quotes around free money for a while and it does change everything. And with all the input prices where they are, it's just a strange world we're in. Yeah, it'd be one thing, uh, Willie, if it was just rates that had gone up. Or it'd be one thing if rates were down and input costs were up. Right, right. But this is the double whammy. And so as inflation has hit and they've attempted to control inflation and, and here's the thing, raising these rates on, you know, interest rates on farm loans, whether it's operating or real estate loans, raising um, interest, attempting to you know, slow the economy down is not going to work in certain sectors of, of the input supply area for farmers. For example, I don't see. I don't see seed costs coming down anytime soon. I don't see fertilizer costs coming down anytime soon. I know labor cost is not going to come down anytime soon. And I can tell you the cost of water is going to go one direction and that's up. So when people think, well, we'll get this all under control and farmers input costs are going to come down, that that's uh, pie in the sky thinking. Yeah, I think so. And I have had some conversations with people. So a couple of economists who mentioned that they think seed costs will go up double digits next year. So, I mean, those kinds of things are going to happen and we, and it's a double whammy. Um, I know I've seen some Twitter jabber about people saying, well, if prices for grains go down, when will their inputs fall? And we all know 
what is it? Input prices go up in an elevator and come down in an escalator. So. No, go the other way. <laughs> yeah, but there they are. You're right. So commodity prices, yeah, you got it right. Commodity yep. prices go up in an escalator and then they come down in an elevator. And yep. input costs are exactly the opposite, right? <laughs> yeah, they are. And they go up in an elevator and down on an escalator. <laughs> yeah. And so it's about uh, saving what you can and having the good years when you can. And well, but, and yep. And what this is going to come down to, particularly with their lenders, Willie, is mm-hmm. borrowers. And I, I tell this to farmers and they don't, I mean, they, they get it, but they don't get it <laughs> sometimes because they're, they're pushed and pulled by their equipment dealers who are saying, here, just take this piece of equipment. You're going to love it. All right. Yep. Yep. You, and, and, you know, they've been gone, going a long time with that replacing your equipment, but you know, yeah, when, when you look at this, it, you have to, as a farmer, separate your needs from your wants. So when you t- sit down and budget for the coming year or budget for the next uh, two or three years, you have to be able to separate what are the needs for this farming operation to not only survive, but thrive. And what are the wants, which are if I do have some excess cash or I'm doing really well, what are the things that I want uh, that I've put off? And separating those needs and wants is going to be the discussion that's had at every meeting between farmers and their lenders, in my opinion. Cool. That's very interesting. And I think it makes a lot of sense. A question on the lending side. There was some talk last year, maybe a couple of years ago, that the capital situation for banks wasn't good enough to give all, you know, to give every farmer an operating loan. Has that changed at all? Or is that still in a weird situation too? Uh, So... Most rural banks, I can't speak for every one mm-hmm. of them, but most of them are over deposited, right? They have too okay. much capital. And that would include the farm credit system as well. I'm hearing some farm credit systems with, you know, equity ratios of 20%. And some banks that say we've got so much in deposit. And most of it came in, as you know, as a result of, you know, PPP and all the, the government assistance during COVID. But there are a lot, there is a lot of deposits on deposits with rural community banks. And so now they're trying to find ways to get the money out the door. Yeah, because it doesn't do any good sitting there. That's nope. for sure. No, nope. so. I mean, well, what, what many of them are doing is they're renting the money back to the Fed and getting overnight rates on that money because otherwise, to your point, it just sits there. Yeah. Well, that's good news, at least that if, if I if I'm in a position to get a loan, there isn't going to be a weird local bank problem like there was no, a few years ago. There's there's plenty of liquidity in the banking industry right now. <laughs> in other words, I got the cash. Come on down. That's right. If, if you, exactly. Exactly right. <laughs> that's good. Well, Kurt, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I appreciate your time today. Keep up the good work. I know that you'll be joining us at the Farm Futures Boot Camp in Iowa on January 18th. I look forward to hearing you then and I look forward to seeing you then. Great. Thanks, Willie. As you might have heard, I do enjoy a good conversation about hot topics. The midterms will change the makeup of those who are working on the farm bill. Interest rates may actually impact land values, but it appears banks are ready to lend if you're ready to borrow at those new rates. Thanks to Kurt Covington for joining me for this episode. As I noted earlier in our conversation, Kurt will be joining us in Iowa City on January 18 for the Farm Futures Ag Finance Boot Camp. It's a unique meeting focused on how you can fine-tune your financial game plan going into 2023. 
It's a kickoff meeting just ahead of the 2023 Farm Futures Summit, January 19th and 20th. Both events are at the Hyatt Regency Coralville, a suburb of Iowa City, and where both events have been held for the last several years. You can learn more and register to join Kurt, myself, Max Armstrong, and a range of great speakers, including Jolene Brown and Dr. David Cole. Learn more at farmfuturesummit.com. We covered a lot of territory in this week's conversation, and if you don't want to miss what we're talking about here at Around Farm Progress, simply subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and more. And if you have a smart speaker, all you have to do is tell it to listen to Around Farm Progress, and you'll hear the latest episode. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source, with 17 state and regional brands, as well as farm futures, beef, National Hog Farmer and Feedstuffs, and our events, including the Farm Progress Show, Husker Harvest Days, the Farm Futures Business Summit, and the New York Farm Show. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.